2 Samuel 17, and I encourage you to take your set of notes that were provided this morning to follow along. If you remember last week in our series in the life of David, we were looking at the, the, um, the counterfeit kingdom. So we've been studying the life of David, and his son Absalom has rebelled against him. Now, what I want you to see, and I've, I've given a, a pretty long introduction on the inside of your handout, and, and I want to point this out because it's important that we set the stage this morning for uh, the scriptures that we're going to look at. Just like last week, um, as, we're, as we're coming to the end of David's life, we're, we're doing this in a condensed format. So as we've gone through it, sometimes we have studied slowly, verse by verse, uh, this time, th these last few weeks, we're taking some large passages of Scripture and we're pulling the major themes out of them. So I appreciate your attention to the Word and I appreciate your willingness to stick with it and to read the Scriptures carefully today. But in the introduction, as we've seen several times in the last months as we've studied, the life of David has been a foreshadow of the, the first and second coming of the true king, Jesus. David's kingdom was the launch point. So when, when God said to David, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take your house and I'm going to take your children and your kingdom is going to be eternal. At that moment in time, though they're human beings, real people, flesh and blood like you and me, at that point though, David's life and David's kingdom took on far more significance than he ever would have imagined. Because David's kingdom is the ultimate kingdom of Christ. Now, particularly in 2 Samuel, the passage that we're looking at, David's kingdom is under attack by a counterfeit kingdom led by his rebellious son, Absalom. But part of what we looked at last week and what we'll continue this morning is this. The story of that rebellion the end was written at the very beginning. The minute Absalom decided that he would rebel against the kingdom of David, no matter what he did, you see, there was no situation, there was no possibility, there was no potential outcome where Absalom was over, overthrowing the kingdom of David. It just wasn't going to happen. No matter how good of a strategy, no matter how powerful of an army, no matter how, how many forces and how many comrades he got to himself, no matter what, the end was written because God had said, David, your kingdom is an eternal kingdom. So this, the story was done for Absalom right from the beginning. No possible scenario where Absalom is victorious. Now, in the same way, the kingdom of God is under attack today. Have you noticed that? that the kingdom of God today is under attack. But it has been under attack from the very beginning. From the, from the very Garden of Eden, the kingdom of God has been under attack. Anytime that God has moved in human history and said, these are my people, they will accomplish my will, the kingdom has come under attack. But despite the advances of the enemy, God's plan will still come to pass. It's going to happen. What God has decreed will come to pass. In fact, Matthew eleven twelve. I'm not sure if Kayla got this one up for us, but Jesus spoke a little bit about this. Up there it is. And from the days, Jesus said, and from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven 
suffereth violence, and the violent, the violent take it by force. It's an interesting verse. They've been, people have struggled to interpret it, even struggled to translate it. But regardless, the point is this, that there is a battle going on surrounding the kingdom of God. And you and I play a part in that battle. Each person, they say, well, I don't, I don't, I don't care to be involved in the battle of, for the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter because the, this, this battle of God's kingdom being established involves the souls of men and women. And so what we're seeing here, and what I'm trying to point out today, is when you see what's going on in David's life, that in this kingdom, it has what I'm going to call today, you ready for your, your theological word of the day? Are you ready? Everybody's ready. You look excited, okay? What's going on has eschatological significance. Say that one ten times fast, all right? I won't try. And that is this. Follow with me now. The movement of history is fixed. Fixed. The movement of history is fixed. In our world today, there are a lot of ways that people believe. There are a lot of worldviews represented. Some people would say that history is a big circle. Right? You familiar with that idea? That history is a big circle? It's a cycle. And, that, and that's an Eastern mindset that as history goes... As history continues, things get repeated. Some people even get reincarnated if they're good enough, and it just goes around and around and around and around. You're familiar with that kind of thinking, right? It's become very popular in our day and age. Some people say that human history is random, that, we were, that this universe was birthed in chaos with Big Bang cosmology, that the, the universe just came to be in a, in a flash of chaos, and there is just total randomness and no answer to where history is headed. But the Bible teaches us that history has a fixed beginning and history has a fixed destination. Don't take that for granted. When you adopt a biblical and Christian worldview, you believe that the universe, the world around you, has real significance, real meaning, and is going toward a real destination. That's why no matter what Absalom does, it's not going to change God's plan. Now, the Bible tells us that. The Bible teaches us about the destination, and that is called, that word that I gave you before, and I put it on your handout, that's called eschatology. And that is the study of the last times, the study of the final plan of God. We get that from this Greek word eschaton, which literally means the last. Now, some, how many of you have ever studied Bible prophecy before? You've, you've, at some point in your life, you've studied Bible prophecy. How many of you are Bible prophecy nerds? I mean, you know it all. You've got it all. I don't know why Mr. Thompson's hand is not up. I mean, you, 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 like we could sit down and you know, you could, you've got the whole book of Revelation memorized, I think, right? Now, <laughs> it should never become... The study of the last things should never become a fixation for us, but it should be a focus of our Christian experience because history is moving somewhere. And God in his grace, God in his wisdom has actually revealed to us where we're going. What the, he's revealed it to us. He wants us to know. He wants us to. And that's why I think what's happened here is as we come to the end of David's life, I cannot help but, but be just grabbed by the, 
the end time significance that's here. I've got one kingdom, and I'm, in my mind, I'm, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing that David's kingdom is the kingdom of God that would eventually come. I look at what Jesus said about the kingdom, what the Bible tells us about the last days, and what we're seeing here is a foreshadowing of all of that. And so in the coming uh, months, we're going to take some time to, to study these things in more detail and, and, and study the book of Revelation, study the book of Daniel. And that'll be an important study. I want to invite you to be a part of it in our, our midweek Bible study. But God in his mercy and grace is calling men and women to repent of this world system that we're just born into and sucked into, to repent of our ways and to give our lives completely and totally and surrender to him and to the cause of his kingdom. Isn't that an exciting calling? I mean, isn't that something that that gives us motivation and purpose for our life? And he's called men and women to turn to him, to see there's no salvation apart from him, to receive him by faith. So I said all that to say this. The king will triumph. Have you heard the call of his kingdom? Let's look at how it plays out in the life of Absalom. I'm in 2 Samuel 17. The first point I want you to see in regard to David's kingdom and the eternal kingdom of God is point number one. There is no strategy, there is no strategy that will defeat the kingdom of God. No strategy that will defeat the kingdom of God. Pick it up in verse number one. Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom. Who remembers Ahithophel from last week? Do you remember this guy, Ahithophel? Okay. It was said that if you received counsel from Ahithophel, this guy was so smart. This guy was so wise. If you listened to the words of Ahithophel, it was like you heard the words of God. It was like you heard the words of God. Now, unfortunately, Ahithophel has betrayed David. And who is he serving now? He's serving Absalom. He's joined forces with the enemy. And boy, if you're Absalom, you're feeling pretty good because now Ahithophel is your advisor. So Ahithophel comes up with a plan, and you read all about it in verse number 6. Basically, what he says is this. He says in these these first six verses, he says, what you need to do, verse 2, you need to, well, in verse 1, he says, you need, to, you need to run after David right away, tonight. You need to, Absalom, you need to get the chariots, get the soldiers, and the best plan is to go after him right away. Verse 2 tells us why. In verse 2, why, why does he say to do that? Because David's going to be what? I'm going to get you to help me this morning, right? Because David's going to be, oh, yeah, he's tired. He's weak. He's weary. The best time is to strike now. Defeat him. The people will flee and you'll have David all to yourself. Sounds like a good plan. So, um, and he, he gives this plan. Now, verse number five, though. Then said Absalom, call now Hushai the archite also. And let us hear likewise what he saith. Uh-oh. We had Ahithophel, the wise and mighty ruler, and now Hushai. Do you remember Hushai from last week? Where I said last week, if you write all these names down, they're going to come up again in the story. Hushai is another counselor. He's loyal to David, but he's playing the part of the double agent. So he is the double agent embedded among Absalom's forces. And Absalom says, well, I've heard from mighty and wise Ahithophel. I wonder what Hushai would have to say. Hushai has his moment now to intervene. And Hushai strokes his beard and he says... Wonderful words of Ahithophel, but I disagree. 
I disagree. I don't think that would be the best plan of attack. And what he says is, verse number 8, Hushai says, you know your father and his men. Oh, they're mighty men. And they're chafed in their minds, just like a bear robbed of her whelps in the field. Do you really want to go tangle with a mama bear who's been separated from her cubs, Absalom? Do you know how David must feel right now? Do you really want to go fight up against somebody? All that adrenaline's going to kick in and they'll defeat you. Now, Hushai knows that is not the case with David. I mean, David is weeping. Do you remember the story we saw last week? The whole crowd of these warriors and these men, this entourage, they're just crying. They're weeping. They've lost it all. But Absalom doesn't know that. Ahithophel doesn't know that. And Hushai intervenes and he says, no, I don't think that you should do it. Look down to verse number 14. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, Hmm, the counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had appointed. Did you see that in this, right in the middle of this verse? Could you read that statement with me? Ready? For the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. And so verse 15, Hushai says to Zadok and Abiathar, if you remember from last week, those are the two priests that stayed. He says, Zadok, Abiathar, run back and tell David to get out of here fast. I've bought him some time. Get him out of here. Run and tell them. There's a cool story how they sneak out. They almost get caught. We don't have time to read it all, but these guys almost get caught. It looks like it's going to be the end of Zadok and Abiathar, but they're hidden and they're given safety and they make it out to the forces of David. And they say, David, get out of here because they're going to come after you. But back to the verse that we left off on in verse 14, Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. It wasn't better. Who had the best strategy? Who had the best plan? Who did? Ahithophel did. He had the wisdom. He had the education. He had the knowledge. He had the mastery. He was the guy that Absalom should have listened to. But who prevailed? Yeah, I thought somebody might say, Hushai, God prevailed. The Lord prevailed. Because listen, the Lord doesn't need the wisest. The Lord doesn't need the greatest counselor. The Lord doesn't need the mighty government. The Lord doesn't need the mighty nations. The Lord doesn't need any of that because God, what God has decreed will come to pass. It doesn't matter, friends, if our world today has the most educated, the most brilliant. It doesn't matter if our world today, you see, there is no legislature that will decree against the Lord. There is no Supreme Court that can change the perfect and complete plan of God. It may look like all of the wisdom is tilted in the scale toward the ungodly, but the truth is this, God's wisdom always prevails. And if it's his plan for a nation to rise and a nation to fall, it's his plan. He will decree. You say, what does that mean for us? It means we need to relax a little bit. We studied on, we studied on um, Wednesday night. We're studying the Psalms in relation to this. We, we studied Psalm 3. 
where David pours out a song after Absalom rebelled. And one of the things that David said in that psalm was this. He said, I laid me down and slept because the Lord sustained me. There's a lot of Christian people that are are fixated on what's on Fox News, fixated on what's on MSNBC and CNN, and fixated on all these things that are happening in the government. Listen, I'm not saying we shouldn't be good citizens, but sometimes we need to just take a step back. We need to breathe deeply. We need to say, God, you've got this thing. God, you're in control. And what you decree, we're going somewhere. We're, we are, history is moving in God's direction. And we don't know exactly how he's going to use the nations of the world. He hasn't revealed it perfectly to us. But we've read, as the, old, as the old gospel song says, I've read the back of the book and we win. Truth is, God's plan is coming to play, is, is going to be fulfilled. In fact, even this, look at verse 24 in this chapter. Then David came to Mahanaim and Absalom passed over Jordan he and all the men of Israel with him. And Absalom made Amasa captain of the host instead of Joab, which Amasa was a man's son whose name was Ithra, an Israelite, etc., etc. I meant to pick it up actually in verse number 27. It came to pass, verse 27, when David was come to Mahanaim, that Shobi, the son of Nahash of Rabbah of the children of Ammon, and Maker, the son of Amiel of Lodabar, and Barzillai, the Gileadite of Rogalim, brought beds and basins, and earthen vessels, and wheat, and barley, and flour, and parched corn, and beans, and lentils, and parched pulse, and honey, and butter, and sheep, and cheese of kind for David. That's a yummy passage right there, huh? And for the people that were with him to eat, for they said, the people is hungry and weary and thirsty in what? In the wilderness. David's now temporarily in exile. He's in the wilderness. Did you notice who God used to sustain him here? If, if I'm not mistaken, it said back in verse 27, there were some children of Ammon. These were the enemies at one point of Israel. But God is just, God is providing a bounty for David in the wilderness. Listen, there's no strategy in this world. There's no strategy in this world that's going to defeat God's kingdom. And God has his people taken care of. Jesus says, if I can clothe, the, if I can clothe the, the lilies of the field, if I can take care of the birds in the sky, Jesus said, I'm going to take care of you. I'll care for you. And when we embrace our place in the kingdom of God, there is rest, there is peace, there is safety, because God's got it under control. There is no strategy that will defeat God's kingdom. Proverbs, one, one of my favorite verses, Proverbs 21 And verse number 30, there is no wisdom, nor understanding, nor counsel against the Lord. Nothing. And Ahithophel, if you read the the story more carefully, Ahithophel sees that his counsel is defeated, and he goes back, he sets his, his house in order, and he hangs himself. He commits suicide. He ends his life tragically. Why? Because he, why did it end that way for Ahithophel? Because he took counsel against, he, he set himself, as a, himself up as a counselor against the Lord. What does that say about the kings and rulers of our day who dare to defy the word of God? 
that really brings us to the next point. Not only is there no strategy that will defeat the kingdom of God, but secondly, those who rebel against the kingdom of God will be cut down. Those who rebel against the kingdom of God will be cut down. Say, that's kind of a, a brutal statement. Well, it's a brutal passage. What happens next? Let's pick, up the, let's pick up the story now. So the battle goes on. Now David's men are... So God just gives you... I, I, I like, Ken, how you prayed in the, for, the, for the offering today and for some other things. And you kept saying, God, give us just what we need. Give us just what we need. What a great statement. You see, that's exactly what God did for David here. He gave him just what he need, just what he needed. He, he said, "See, we think we think, and I'm, I'm I'm a bit on a tangent here, but forgive me. Um, we think we need Christians. Well, we need the power in government. We need power in the schools. We need power in this. We need what God gives us. We've got just what we need. He provided for David. He bought him a little bit of time to escape Absalom, and he brought him a little bit of food. Well, actually, a lot of food." to feed his men and his troops. He gave him just what he needed so he'd be ready for the battle in chapter number 18. So pick it up, chapter 18. David numbered the people that were with him and set captains of thousands, captains of hundreds over them. And David sent, now this is David's battle plan. David's battle plan, these first eight verses is, okay, Joab, you take a third of the, there's, there's three, three loyal men standing there. Joab, take a third of the men with you. Little brother of Joab, Abishai, you take a third of the men with you. And where's that Gittite? Itai, hey, you take a third of the men with you. Split our forces into troops of three, and we'll go out. Now, he says in verse four, or or no, in verse number, at the end of verse number two, David says, I'm going to go fight too. I'm going to pick up a sword, and I'm going to fight too. You read verse number three, and the people are like, no way, David. You're getting a little too old for this. You're going to stay back. We can't lose you. So David says, okay. In verse number three, um, David, the people answered, thou shalt not go forth, for if we flee, they will not care for us. Neither if half of us die will they care. But now thou art worth 10,000 of us. Wow, they love him. So verse four, the king says, okay. Now, look at verse five. And the king commanded Joab, and Abishai and Atai, saying, now look at this, deal gently for my sake with the young man, even with Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains charge concerning Absalom. So the people went out into the field against Israel. And the battle was in the wood of Ephraim, where the people of Israel were slain before the servants of David. And there was a great slaughter that day of 20,000 men, for the battle was there scattered over the face of all the country. And the wood devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. So apparently the terrain is so rugged. As these, these armies clash, the civil war ensues and they clash in the thick woods and they're riding on horses and they're, and they're, they're going through and, and there are more accidents and crashes into the trees. More people are dying and falling into pits and crashing into trees. More people are dying by that than in the actual sword play that's going on. And the battle is, is just going well for the people of God. The battle's going well for the, for the army of David. And the battle's not going so well for Absalom. But remember, David, David had a battle plan. So we're going to win this battle, but you're going to be careful with Absalom. Joab had another battle plan, slightly different, in one key detail. In verse number 9, 
And Absalom met the servants of David. And Absalom rode upon a mule. And the mule went under the thick boughs of a great oak. And you remember all that long, beautiful, flowing hair that Absalom had? Well, here it comes up again. He was taken up between the heaven and the earth. His head, it says his head caught hold of the oak, and he was taken up between the heaven and the earth. And the mule that was under him went away. And certain, a certain man saw it and told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanged in an oak. And Joab said to the man that told him, Well, did you? <laughs> this is Joab lingo. Lingo. So you saw him. Did you smite him to the ground? <laughs> Did you spill his guts? <laughs> you know? Did you kill him? And the guy's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I heard what David said. There's no way. What'd you do? Oh, I left him in the tree. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, these guys, like, oh, look, there's Absalom. I'd at least tried to get him down. If I didn't want to kill him, maybe I'd capture him, you know? He's like, you know, he's hanging there. We'll just leave him there. We'll just leave him there. And Joab's just like, I, you know, I got a little sympathy for Joab. He's like, what kind of army am I leading here? You know, what's going on here? If you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. That's old Joab. So, verse 14. And in fact, if you think I'm exaggerating Joab's attitude, look what he says in verse 14. Then said Joab, I may not tarry thus with thee. That's real King's English, right? He's like, I don't have time for you. I can't just stand here talking, all right? Enough talk. I got to get out of here. And he took three darts in his hand. Now think of these as these darts are spears. And he walks up to Absalom. Three darts. One, two, three. He thrust those three darts through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. Now everybody sees what Joab does, and they're real brave all of a sudden. Ten young men that bear Joab's armor compassed about and smote Absalom. They, they, they abuse his body and kill him. And Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing after Israel. For Joab held back the people, and they took Absalom and cast him into a great pit in the wood and laid a very great heap of stones upon him. And all Israel fled everyone to his tent. Listen, those Absalom is the picture of all the ultimate end of all who rebel against the kingdom of God. The end is so inglorious. The end is so ugly for Absalom. Remember how beautiful he was described in our study last week? And how everything was going for him. Remember how loyal his subjects were? Everything was. But those who rebel against the kingdom of God will be cut down. You know, David would write in Psalm 37, verses 1 and 2, Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. He says, he says listen, don't get all worked up. Don't get all fretful. Don't get all worked up about the evil that you see around you. Why? Because their time is short in verse number two. For they shall, when? For they shall soon 
be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. There's a contrast. There's mighty, powerful people. Go, go ahead back to that verse for me in verse number two. In verse number two, there's evildoers who are mighty, powerful people, and it says they will soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. And then if you have verse number three, it gives the contrast for the people of God. I don't think we have that one up there, but it says this. So they're the ones who will be cut down, but for us it says, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. He says, hey, don't get worked up about all the evil around you. Just trust God and do right. Trust God and do what's right. Absalom and all of his beauty, it just, it just reminds me of, it, it, we see it on display. We live, listen, friends, we live in a very ungodly world system around us. And it's affected our government. It's affected our culture and our entertainment. And it all looks so good. And, and I just think about all of the, all of the pot politicians who walk out in their suits and, and have their entourage around them and our Supreme Court that comes out in their robes. And there are many righteous people among our leaders, and I'm thankful for our righteous leaders. But there are many, many unrighteous and ungodly leaders that are trying to turn our nation, and, and other nations deal with the same thing, to try to turn the hearts of, our, of the nations against God. But one day, every knee will bow. And that long black robe, that long black robe that, that, that covers the, the body of a person who will say, it's okay to murder babies in the womb, that person will be cut down. The politicians who want to advance an ungodly, un, all their power, all their prestige, they have not, this is not a battle for the, the news media and the TV. This is a battle for the souls of men and women and all who oppose themselves against the Lord in the end will be cut down. Soon. Soon. We're only here for a little while. God's justice is coming soon. Absalom's, Absalom's counterfeit kingdom was a flash in the pan. Flash in the pan. The devil's counterfeit kingdom one day is with the Lord as what? thousand years. Thousand, it's just a flash in the pan. God's kingdom is eternal. The devil and those who align themselves with him, they'll be cut down. But now I want you to see this, this last major theme, and this is probably the most astounding. Love and forgiveness are available even to those enemies that I just described. We just spoke really harshly about those who align themselves against God's kingdom. But listen, the goodness and grace of God are available even to them. Look, look what happens in the passage. David finds out that Absalom is dead. It's this delayed story. Verse 24 of chapter 18 David sat between the two gates. The watchman went to the roof over the gate into the wall He lift, and lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running alone. There's a man running, the watchman cries. He's coming. The king says if he's alone, then there's tidings in his mouth. Verse 26, the watchman said, there's another man coming. He also bringeth tidings. 
Anyway, these guys both run. The first guy comes in verse number, verse number 29. The, the one guy outruns the other. And in verse 29, the king says, he wants to know what happened to Absalom. Is the young man Absalom saved? And Ahimaaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servant and, and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but, but I knew not what it was. He's like, I, I don't know exactly. Stand here. David says, okay, you stand over here. He's still, David's anxiety is welling up within him. What has happened to Absalom? And now Cushai comes in verse 31. Cushai came and Cushai said, Tidings, my lord the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. And the king said to Cushai, yes, but is the young man Absalom safe? Is Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord the king and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. David knew. He says, yeah, Absalom, he's where all your enemies ended up. He's dead. He died. He was cut down. Now, all of Israel breathes a collective sigh of relief, but not David. In verse 33, and the king was much moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, thus said he, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would God I had died for thee. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. David mourns, he weeps for Absalom. Look at the love for the rebel. I mean, David poured out, David says, if you could have lived, I would rather have died. If you could have lived, Absalom. Now, David is making a bit of a leadership mistake here. The people need to see the victory. But at the same time, the love of the heart of David is weeping. It's just poured it for his son. This was never how it was supposed to be. That boy was a gift from God. That boy had a soul. That boy was a cherished, beloved person. This was not how it was supposed to be. Can I share with you that the enemies of God that we just described a point ago, God looks and He says, this is not how it's supposed to be. You are my creation. For God so loved the world. He loved the world. And this love that David has for Absalom is incomprehensible to the people around him. Joab can't understand it. Does that surprise anyone in here? <laughs> Joab just doesn't get it. The kid was a scumbag, David. He had to go. He had to die. I wish I had five darts for him. You know, That's, that's, that's the heart of Joab. I think sometimes Christians have that kind of heart. Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth. Jesus said, you've heard, love your, love your friends and hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for them which despitefully use you. The Joabs of the world cannot understand why the Davids of the world would love a rebellious, wicked Absalom. But David loved him. Didn't bring him back. 
doesn't change his destiny, but it breaks his heart. The Lord says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's not God's plan to lose any of humanity. I take strong issue with any theology that says that God created people to damn them to hell. It's not the heart of God that we know in the Scriptures. The heart of God in the Scriptures is is that is for the for men to repent, men to come to Him. Yet, if they persist in their rebellion, He may give them over to a reprobate mind. He may say, "Fine, you've made your choice," but they've made their choice against the heart of the Father. So David mourns, but Joab can't understand it. It was told Joab. Now I'm in chapter 19. Just going to look at a, a, a few verses here. It was told Joab, behold, the king weeps and mourns for Absalom. And the victory that day was turned into mourning unto all the people. For the people heard say that how the king was grieved for his son. And the people got them by stealth that day into the city, and as people being ashamed, steal away when they flee in battle. But the king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice all day long. If you were near the tent, all you heard all day long coming from the tent, Oh, my son, Absalom! Oh, Absalom, my son, my son! And Joab came into the house to the king and said, Thou hast shamed this day the faces of all thy servants, which they have they've saved your life today. They saved everyone's lives. Verse 6, In that you love your enemies and hate your friends. For thou hast declared this day that thou regardest neither princes nor servants. For this day I perceive, look what Joab said, look at Joab's perception. Joab says, I perceive that if Absalom had lived and we had all died this day, then it had pleased thee well. Now again, remember, this is a human story with prophetic implications, pictures of Christ. David's not a perfect picture. I think David is making a bit of a leadership mistake here. He needs to thank the people. He needs to rally the troops. That needs to happen. But I just can't find much fault in him when he's so displays the love of our Savior in his heart. And he just says, but I loved him. But he's lost, but I loved him. But he's a rebel, but I loved him. I loved him. You see, David's love for Absalom was incomprehensible to the people. Jesus' love for you and me is incomprehensible. It it makes no sense. You see, unfortunately, we live in a day and age. We live in a day and age where the culture and society tells us how valuable we are. We live in the self-esteem therapeutic generation where we are, from the time we're really young, we are special. We are, and you know what? Some of that is good because we we are special. We are created in the image of God. But we've lost the sense that we are wicked. We are rebellious. We have turned our faces from God. The best one of us is as rebellious as Absalom in our heart. Now, David's love for Absalom, I want you to think about this. David's love for Absalom could have saved him had he been willing to repent. Think about that. At any moment, at any moment, 
Absalom, listen now, Absalom could have said at any moment, wait a minute, brakes, put the brakes on, put the brakes on, this is wrong, I cannot rebel against the king, stop, let's just stop. At any moment, and what would David have done? Well, we already know what David, what would he have done? He would have embraced him and welcomed him back at any moment. But it was too late for Absalom. Why? Because his heart had been hardened. It's a picture, it's a picture that you see throughout the Bible. You see it in Pharaoh's life. The Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart. As soon as Pharaoh hardened his heart, you know what the next description says? You know who hardened Pharaoh's heart after that? God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And then it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. And then it says God hardened his heart. Sometimes the, the Lord is gracious and merciful and long-suffering, but there is a time where it's too late for mercy. Friend, if you, if you sit in this church, if you watch this message online, and you have never seen yourself as an undeserving sinner, and you've never thrown yourself at the mercy of God, there will come a day where it is too late. But today, it's not too late. Today, there is an opportunity for salvation. You see, it was too late for Absalom, but it's not too late for you and me. It's not too late for the wayward sinner who hears the call of the Savior. It's not too late because Jesus loved us while we were his enemies. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. I know we're at the end, but please give these scriptures your full attention. But God displayed, commendeth, demonstrated. God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet what? Sinners. But you have to see yourself as a sinner. Absalom never viewed himself as being wrong. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Down to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. He opens with a question. He says, do you despise? Despisest thou the riches of his goodness? He says, do you understand how good God has been to you? And God cries, and I feel like in our, in our anti-God culture, the Lord, this passage rings clear. Are you despising the goodness of God? Are you re you're rejecting his forbearance, his long-suffering? Don't you realize, no, not knowing that the goodness of God leads thee to repentance? In the last passage, 2 Peter, talking about this ultimate triumph of the king and our place in his triumph, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness. But he is what? What's the word? He's long-suffering to usward, and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. That this is some of what we'll study in the in the months in the, the weeks or months to come. This idea that the day of the Lord is coming and it will come as a thief in the night. History is going somewhere. There is a day when it's going to be too late. And in that day, when it comes as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be what's it say? burned up. There is a coming judgment day, but God's mercy is here today. But judgment day will be too late. And verse 11 says this, seeing then 
that all these things, he's talking about the world, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What kind of people should you be, Peter says? What kind of person should you be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God? Looking for the looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God. So what brings it all together? Christian, if you're a believer in Jesus, no matter what this world stacks up against us, the victory of Christ is secure. But I've got to ask you, like Peter said in this last passage, understanding that this world is just temporary, what kind of people should we be? What kind of lives should we live? How should we raise our families? How should we spend our time? How should we spend our money? We're part of an ultimate kingdom. We don't have time to be distracted. God is calling you and me, his disciples, to devote our love, our energy, and our passion to his kingdom for his glory. Teenagers, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're called to live for the kingdom today. You know, as we get older in life, sometimes we, 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 we are more aware of our mortality. When we slip on the ladder and injure our foot, we're aware of our mortality, that life is, is short. But when you, there's many young people in the room today, and I want to talk to you if you're a teenager, young adult, children in the room, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. But your history, your life story is going somewhere. It's either the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness. Are you saved? Has there been a time in your life where you've repented of your sin and asked Jesus to save you? If not, don't wait a single other day. Do it now. Do it today. Adults in the room, your church attendance, your your the way you live your life, your conduct, all, all those things, I mean, they're important for Christian life, but has there ever been a real moment in your life where you understood you were a sinner and you asked Jesus to save you? If not, don't play around. What a shame. What, what a shame it would be to come to church every Sunday, to sing the songs, but to not know Christ. And if you say, no, Ethan, I know. I know that I belong to him. I know that I'm a Christian. Well, what are you living for? What am I living for? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. We come to a moment of reflection right now. Our musicians are going to take their place and we're going to sing a song, but it's really, really important that we don't just say, okay, the service is over, because it's not over. The most important part of the service could be happening right now because this is the opportunity for you to respond to what God has shown you. So, is there anybody in the room or anybody watching that would say, if I die today or if Jesus returns today, I am not 100% sure 
that I am saved. If you can't, if you're not 100% sure, why don't, why don't you settle that this morning, old or young? You say, well, what do I need to do? You don't need to do anything except believe. Jesus did it all. He died for you. He, he rose from the dead. All you need to do is in this moment, admit your sin, believe Jesus died for you, and call out to him in faith. Right now, you can pray a prayer of faith. It's something like this. And if, you've, if you're not sure, why don't you do that right now? Say, say a prayer, something like this. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm rebellious. I've broken your word. But I believe, Jesus, that you died for me and that you rose again. And I put all of my faith in you and only in you. I ask you to save me, Jesus. If you're not sure, today, we're talking about eternity, make sure that today you put your faith in Christ. The Bible says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord is saved. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call on Jesus today. Christian, I'm going to ask them, as I ask the musicians to play, why don't you have a time of prayer? What are you living for? We understand that this world is going to pass away and everything that's in it. What are you living for? Would you rededicate your purpose, rededicate your love, rededicate your passion to the Lord? Take a moment at your seat right now and pray to the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your love and grace. We pray that our hearts would be turned to you in full devotion. Lord, we thank you for the many warnings of Scripture and the, 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 the challenge to, to live for eternity, to live for what truly matters. Pray all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.